Thank you, Bill and Vince and Misty, for leading us in worship this morning. For all of our volunteers, it's just so great to have people help out and to do things and to be the example of what we need and how to help out and, and what has to happen. And I think this morning we timed it. We were good in 12 minutes this morning. And so uh, many hands make light work. So thank you for all of those uh, who help on a regular and consistent basis. And uh, I have to confess I enjoyed the break during the time, but uh, it wasn't worth the sacrifice of not being here together. So I'm so glad to be here. For those of you who are online with us this morning, we're glad you're here. Let us know you're here uh, just so we can uh, get a little check-in. I didn't get to say hello or high-five you, but I'd love to just check in with you the rest of the week. Just uh, tell us hello this morning. I'm a big history fan. I don't know about uh, many of you, but I, I love history. I'm a big fan of World War II history, um, but I just like to learn from the past. I like some of the stories of the past. I like a good story, if you haven't noticed that already. If you, if you barely even know me, you probably know that already. But I like a good story, and I read one this week about uh, uh, Chief Red Jacket in 1805 in Buffalo Falls, New York. Does anybody know what Buffalo Falls is? this same book and he says yes we have multiple copies but it's of the same book he says and so you've all been living according to the instructions of this same book and he says yes we have and so the chief just looked at him just very calmly very politely and he just said to him i think we'll watch you for a while and see if you all are able to live according to the rules of that book this afternoon now i find that interesting because what we many times do is we look for a good example. And we think that a good example is something that we can follow. And while there's a lot of truth in that, there's also equal truth to say that we have plenty of bad examples, but we follow that anyway. I'll give you a good example of that. Moments ago, many of you were still standing while we were trying to decide if we should pray or not. And some of you sat and some of you stood and you weren't sure. And there was this moment of entropy going, what should I do? Because no one led you to sit down, right? And the pastor sat down, and I caught a couple of you, by the way, on this side of the room. Y'all are good, godly people, I know, in this room. But on this side of the room going, what's he doing? Is he sitting down? Is he? I caught you. You know who you are? We're all looking for a good example, right? But here's the problem. And Warren Wiersbe, actually, he, he's one of my favorite theologians. He actually shared this story, and he actually said this. He, says, he, he said this quote. He says, sinners need a Savior, not an example. Now, I want you to just chew on that statement for just a moment. Sinners need a Savior, not an example. And he goes on to say, but after a person is saved, he will want to follow closely upon his steps and imitate the example of Christ. Sinners need a savior, not an example. And where I think we go wrong, particularly in Christianity, is what we offer is just an example of Jesus, but we don't offer, we don't offer Jesus. And as we're looking in the topic of hope, especially hope in hard times, I have on more than one occasion tried to encourage you and to bring you into what Peter wrote in 1 Peter, and we're going to continue there today in chapter 2 if you want to find it now. But what Peter is telling us is how do, we, how do we live in hard times? How do we have hope in hard times? 
We live according to how Christ the example showed us to do so. But, but Peter didn't get it wrong. I think we just get it wrong. Because unfortunately, so many times we lead people to say, change your everything to follow somebody you don't know. And if you'll just imitate him well, you should be fine. And that's only half of the story. That's not the full version of what real hope actually is. Because if sinners are in need of a Savior, why are we just so busy only showing them an example? Now, you can't misread that or mishear it in such a way to say, well, you're saying we shouldn't live like Christ. No, I'm saying not only should you live like Christ, you should understand why you should live like Christ. And what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, as we're going to look this morning, is that it's really important for us to understand that. But before we get there, the last couple of weeks, I've been encouraging you to memorize 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Because in that verse alone, we see the entire setup for the rest of the, of, of the book of 1 Peter. And, and I think I've got it on the screen up here too. And so read that with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now hang on a minute. That ends with an exclamation point. We did this exercise two weeks ago. So let's, let's do this again. Exclamation point means we're excited about it, right? Aggies won last night. It was ugly, but it was a win. Okay? Not the same exclamation point. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exciting, right? We're acknowledging our Father, our Creator. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where the exclamation point really ought to be. He has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, there's a whole lot in there. And as Peter unpacks the rest of his entire letter to the five different places that he sent this to, he is reminding them, not only am I going to point the example out to you, I'm also going to point the Savior out to you. And be cautious about not just giving a half Jesus a half measure of hope, a world-styled hope that doesn't meet the reality of the truth of Scripture, of who Jesus is. Especially because you're being called not to just an optimistic hope, not just to a hope that may make you feel a little better or toughen you up or bring some fortitude when you really need it, but instead you're being called to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's great news, if you get it. But if you don't get it, it just means that I have to be optimistic whenever bad times come or hard times come. I've got to muscle up the fortitude to make my way through this. And Peter's basically saying, in not so many words, is you'll never find it. You'll never find it within yourself just with a positive attitude, just by being optimistic. What you need is real hope, a living hope, and that living hope is brought to you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead as a gracious gift from God. And so go back to my friend Chief Red Jacket for just a moment. Because what he actually was calling out this missionary to say was that you're offering me a, a change of lifestyle, but you're not offering me a change of life. You're offering me to give up everything I have, to sacrifice everything I have, so I can be like somebody I don't know that you yourself don't even look like. This is actually one of the greatest problems that, that non-Messianic Jews have with Christians today. They don't look like their rabbi. They don't act like their rabbi. They don't believe like their rabbi. And they certainly don't love like their rabbi. And so if we as Christians today 
are busy only offering an optimistic hope to people and not offering them the real hope of Jesus Christ. We're giving them a short-lived solution to a long-term eternal problem. And that is an eternity without Jesus Christ. That actually is the definition of hopelessness. Where there is no Christ, there is no hope. And so Peter is trying to encourage them. And as he goes through the first chapter, he gets into the second chapter. And what we see today are three specific reasons why Peter is trying to encourage them and us of why we should live hope-filled lives. And the first reason that we should live hope-filled lives is for the sake of lost people. We should live hope-filled lives for the sake of lost people. And I want you to consider the order for a moment. Because Paul will write to the Philippians, and he'll say to them very clearly, do not consider yourself better than anybody else, not by conceit or rivalry, but consider others more significant than yourself. And so Peter is saying, look, guys, figure this out for a moment. What you have is a living hope through the resurrection of a dead Jesus to a living God. And because you have that, look out for the care of others. And the first place where he points that to us is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I love that word visitation because it's got some really fun stuff in that I won't really touch too much today, but just realize this. When Jesus comes back, it's not for the long term, it's for the short. And when he does come back, he is going to be that guest that comes and does what he's, he's come to do, and then he's going to go. And in his visitation, he's going to take those with him that belong to him, and he's going to leave everybody else. And so we're to live a hope-filled life, a Christ-filled, Christ-centered life for the sake of those who are lost. And the reason why we should do so, that Peter says here, is, is because our battle is not against one another. Our battle is against the fleshly desires of, of this world. Our battle are, are against the things that are out there that are pointing us in the wrong direction. And if we're thinking, well, you know what? Jesus is on my side. This world can't do anything to me. You're going to get pummeled. You're, gonna, you're not only going to get pummeled, as you start to get pummeled, the lost world, those without Christ, who have not been given a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, they're going to look at you and they're going to watch and go, man, that's not working. And these people say and talk this big game about this Jesus person, but they don't really believe in him to actually complete their salvation, to actually save them from the situation. And so what they've gotten from those of us who have played Christian for so long is a half hope, is a, is a half truth of Jesus. It's just this optimistic power that we actually don't even need God for, just to feel good about because we read a good article in this uh, paper or on that blog or whatever, or we just had a really good day and nothing can affect me. And Peter's saying, no, it's much deeper than that. You need to, 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 for the sake of the lost, have a living hope. And that living hope has to permeate in everything that you do because people are always watching you. And if people are always watching you, let me tell you something, whether you want to agree with it or not, or whether you like it or not, they actually don't care about you. They care about Jesus that you've been talking so much about. So why don't you show them him? Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in Christ. Man, you, you, you really are suffering through some tough times right now. Your, your dog died. Your kids moved off to college. And took all your best stuff. 
cable was out for a half hour last week? Man, how are you coping with all that? Oh, I got Jesus. Yeah? I don't think Jesus cares about your cable. And you know what? The rest of the world doesn't either. And so this half hope that we give people is not just being positive and, and, and upbeat and optimistic. It's good to have those things. It's better to live that way, trust me. But that doesn't get it done. It doesn't get us across the finish line. And on the day of visitation, when Christ comes and these people say, well, I've been living the example that these Christians have been following. Why aren't I good enough? It's because these Christians didn't give you all that you needed. My daughter ran a marathon, her first one, her senior year in high school. And in the first quarter mile, the lead runner, the pace setter, actually made a wrong turn and shorted the marathon by one-tenth of a mile. And so, you know the little stickers that say 26.2? I've been looking everywhere for 26.1. Because when my daughter says, I ran a marathon, I remind her, no, actually, you did not. And you didn't run a marathon because the person who led you to run the marathon was wrong. And not only was that person wrong, everybody who ran the marathon didn't actually run the marathon. They were short because they followed the one example that was out there and thought for sure this was the way to go. And somebody was watching them because the rules are you follow the pace runner. And the pace runner sets the course and you follow behind them. What happens when the pace runner is wrong? You see, human wisdom... Human optimistic hope will always fall short of a living hope that is brought to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Nothing else will make up for that. And Peter is not only encouraging them that there are people watching who need this Jesus, who need the full story of this Jesus, he's warning them to say, listen, you once were these Gentiles. Now, when you read that word Gentile in these few verses, don't think he's talking about a non-Jewish race. He's actually talking about everybody outside of Christ. This word Gentile was, was put out there in such a way to help us understand that apart from Christ, we are all different. And because you are sojourners in this world, because you are aliens in this world, stop trying to be a citizen of a place you're not actually allowed to be in, but instead be the soldier that, that goes in and occupies. That's the language that Peter's actually using in here. And that soldier is going to come in and he's going to bring hope because that's actually the weapon that he has most of all, that he never runs out of ammunition. And Peter is saying what you're actually doing is coming in and bringing optimism. Be careful about that. These people actually need real hope who is in Jesus Christ. And for the sake of the lost people, you need to live a hope-filled life. And that hope-filled life is not full of sunshine and rainbows all the time because, after all, that rainbow was given to us from God as a promise. Starting to catch on yet? Hope is not just something you conjure up and well up. Hope is not just something that you're, you're, you're hoping for a better outcome. Hope is the person of Christ. And the outside world who doesn't know that doesn't need to know that everything's going to be okay. Tomorrow's just going to be a little brighter. Wipe your knees off. Get up. Get back in there. What they need to know is, you know what? It's not going to be okay. There's nothing this world's going to offer that's going to fix this. But there is a Jesus who is. And for the sake of lost people, Christians, listen up to me very carefully, including those of you at home. For the sake of lost people, please stop giving people half Jesus. Cut it out. Because they're going to go to a whole hell, a real place outside of the presence of God. On the day of visitation, when Christ shows up and he says, I don't know you, 
I did all these things. God, I did all these things. I made all these sacrifices. Depart from me, I never knew you. Now, part of that is because they're not going to pay attention, but the other part weighs on us as Christ followers to give them a whole living hope. Not one that's alive for the moment and dies later on, the first sign of struggle. Peter will go on in the second part of this, and he'll remind us that we should live hope-filled lives for the Lord's sake. After all, we're wearing his banner. We're his representatives. We're the ones that when people look for this living hope, they look for this Jesus, they see us. As Chief Red Jacket was looking at the people, trying to figure out if they actually lived according to this book, he wasn't actually looking for Jesus. What he was looking for was Jesus in their lives. What he was looking for is do these people actually believe that the other six days of the week, not just on Sunday morning? Is it evident in how they love one another, how they treat one another, how they they deal with disputes and conflict? Because if it's not, Chief Red Jacket probably, like the rest of us in 1805 versus 2020, said, I got plenty of people like that already in my life. I really don't have room for more. I really don't have room for more. Peter said, for the Lord's sake, you need to live a hope-filled life. And here's why. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17 says this. And this is a favorite topic, and some of you are going to absolutely love this because I've had personal conversations with you, and this passage of Scripture is going to jack with you. There's one in Romans that says the same thing. And it's always fun, especially in an election year, to read this passage of Scripture because the last thing you really want to do is jump on the toes of a whole, whole bunch of evangelical voters, right? But I'm game. How about you? Let's do it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love brotherhood. Fear God and honor the emperor. Oh, pastor, please don't do this this morning. The last thing I really, you're going to tell me I'm supposed to submit myself to this government in this day and age. You're going to tell me that I'm supposed to do that. Now, can't we interpret this just a little bit different? Or, better yet, Pastor, I blacked that out. I treated it like a CIA document. I don't like this passage of Scripture. You know why I don't like this passage of Scripture? Because if I go back to the previous one that says that my battles against the flesh of this world and against the desires of this world, it says the last thing I want to do is be under anybody's authority that's not my own. And let's be honest. I'm not really good at even holding myself under good authority. But you're not any better, and I, don't, and I resent it. Is that fair? We're on the same page for a minute? What Peter is actually saying here, and it's actually with great clarity as we take some time to read this and say, first of all, for the Lord's sake, God actually put these human institutions in place. He ordained them. So if you don't like that, you take that up with him. If you don't like the government that you had or the government that's someplace else or an authority that's someplace else, you need to understand that you can not like it all you want, but God actually ordained it and allowed it to happen. And if you don't think that he did, then you've got a problem with the personal power and authority of God in your own life, let alone the life of others. And that doesn't mean that these people actually agree to God or bow to God or serve God. It just means that God ordained it because God apparently has the final say on, I don't know, everything. 
And he put these people in place so that they can punish bad and praise good. And despite all the other things that you are bombarded with in your 24-hour news cycle, those things actually happen. We do actually put murderers in jail. Believe it or not, those institutions are there. But what Peter clarifies this, he says, For the Lord's sake, live an example. Live an example because, and catch this, this is where hope gets really convoluted because we offer the world's ideal of an optimistic hope instead of God's reality of a hope for the, the living hope who is Jesus Christ. What hope often just gives us is some measure of will. But worldly hope doesn't give us any measure of way. And what, Paul, what Peter is saying in this passage is that Jesus is both the will and the way, and that's what makes him the living hope. And for the Lord's sake, demonstrate that under his authority, you're willing to set under the authority of a government or whatever entity that God put over you. After all, kids don't choose their parents, right? And if you're a parent, you certainly want your kid to obey you for your sake, for the Lord's sake, and let's be honest, for their own sake too. My dad has told me on more than one occasion, I'm 44 years old, but he, he still tells me this. I, the older I get, the more he's right. And he says, son, if you'd have got to that earlier, your life would have been better. Your childhood would have been better. Your adulthood would be better. And so now when I talk to my dad, I make sure, I'm not planning, I make sure to remind him how right he is on pretty much everything. Because he is. I want to be that guy. You know how I'm going to be that guy? I'm going to submit to his authority. I'm going to submit to his authority, especially when I don't like it. But I'm going to submit to his authority not just because he's more powerful than I am, but because he is a godly man who loves Jesus Christ, who has him in his life. And God put him in my life over me. Now, Pastor, what about these laws that are clearly unethical? What about abortion? Why is it legal? Christ Father, let me just be honest with you for just a second. You don't have to participate in that law just for that law to be on the books. I pray that you're not. There's a lot of other things. Murder is illegal according to the law. You don't have to participate in that law, okay? But listen to what I'm saying for just a second. Dial in with me here. What Peter's actually saying is, is that you submit to the authority, but you can push back on the law. You can push back on a law that doesn't honor God, that doesn't honor the emperor, that doesn't love people, that doesn't fear God. But you cannot push back on the authority itself because by doing so, you're actually pushing back upon God who ordained that authority. And when you do so, guess what people see? They see you. They don't see a living hope in Jesus Christ. They see your preferences. They see the things that you want. They see the things that you don't like. And can we just please have a conversation without it going political for once? I don't know about you. That's been the worst part of 2020 for me. Hey, man, look at those vegetables. Yeah, can you believe that? Those come out of some farm in the middle of nowhere that some four-year-old, and here we go. Hey, I hate that. I do. But we've gotten everything so political anymore that we, we can't see through the, the forest for the trees of this. And the reason is we're pushing back on some entity that we've failed to realize that there is a God that's bigger than every last one of them. And for the sake of Christ, we should have our freedom in him to say that I will endure whatever this world puts on top of me, knowing that this is temporary, that even with a positive attitude, I can make through most of it. But guess what? Jesus is going to conquer all of it. And that's my living hope. And that's where my hope comes from. It's not that the government's going to ease up. It's not that the laws are going to change. It's not that the new Supreme Court justice, whoever that may be, is going to come in and reverse this or overturn that or whatever. All that is temporary, every single bit of that. And all that will, will provide for me is maybe a will to just endure a little longer. 
to persevere, but it will not provide me a way. Even voting for whoever I want to vote for or for or against or whoever, that doesn't actually provide me a way. It provides me a mechanism for a temporary situation because the way is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And so just like Chief Red Jacket, just like us today, just like the world that's looking at us on all these other places, they're saying, I don't see this living hope. I hear this Jesus name, but I don't see this living hope in your world. And Christians, stop taking license to live as free as you want to. We had a great conversation in our small group last Sunday. In the middle of that, a question was brought up about, do you feel like we sometimes tell lost people and sinners that it's okay, I'm a sinner too, and so we're all part of the same club, and we just call it good. It was a great conversation because it was actually quite convicting to understand that we actually do that. Hey, man, you're welcome in this church. Come on in. There's just a bunch of sinners in here. Almost like it's some measure of a badge of honor to say, hey, you want to compare sins? Let's start with the Ten Commandments and take notes. Let's see which one of them we broke first and most. And we do that because what we actually only see is that we have this ethereal ideal, this concept of hope where God's going to help me endure through this instead of realizing that it's just not about endurance. It's about a living hope that says I'm going to give you eternal life and life more abundant on this earth and after this earth. And we don't offer that up because we live in this freedom of Christ, which is a false freedom to say that I can take the Ten Commandments as a list and sin like crazy and do whatever I want and live however because I don't care what the rest of you see in me. God's got me covered on this. And while that's a true statement, it's a partially true statement because if God really had hold of your life, you wouldn't live that way. If you really loved him and had a living hope in Jesus Christ, you would not only live that way, it would make you sick whenever you sinned against him. I mean, physically sick when you sinned against him. It would be the mark of godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. Well, my boss got mad at me, and he doesn't like me anymore. Who cares? Jesus says, I can condemn your very soul to a godless eternity. That's what you need to be afraid of. I lost my job. I had a car wreck. My, whatever. Okay. Life's terrible sometimes. Thank you, Adam, for bringing that into us. Appreciate you, buddy. Here's a fist bump. I can have the will to try to endure that, but I'm going to get tired and worn out. But the way to actually overcome that is Jesus who said, I've already overcome the world. Throw whatever you want at me. But you, for my sake, need to live a hope-filled life. And that hope-filled life is devoid if it doesn't include Jesus. Honor him. Love him. Respect him. Stop wallowing in your sin like it's some sort of blanket or badge or crown or whatever. It's not. It's the blood of Jesus that needs to be all over you. And that's what living hope looks like. It actually looks like the death of the shepherd, not the sheep. The one who was willing to go to the cross on behalf of his herd, on behalf of his flock. Peter continues on with this, saying that you need to, you need to honor the institutions out of there because God put them there for a reason. And in doing so, people are going to look at you, especially those that are foolish, and go, I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know what to say to that. It just, it just emanates of, of Christ saying, when they come and get you, and they persecute you, and they beat you, when this happens, I'll tell you what to say. And I don't know about you, but sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. And we all should practice that discipline a little more. None of you look at your watch right now. I'm going to get a phone call. We should live a hope-filled life for the sake of Christ. Because when he looked down on humanity and said, these people have no hope, none, 
there is not anything that they can do to fix this problem. When God looked down at Noah in his time and it grieved him that he had even created mankind. He didn't question what he had done. He questioned why these people had done this. Broke his heart. He says, you know what, though? I've got a fix for this. Jesus, I want you to leave this place. I want you to go down there. And I want you to be an example, not just for 33 years on this earth of how to live, but how to hang on a cross and die for the sins of mankind. And we just need an example. We need a Savior. Peter finishes this passage. He says, we should live a hope-filled lives for our very own sake. Probably should have started with this one, but in the order of how it fell in Scripture, because, you know, after all, we like to think of ourselves first, don't we? I do. I'm as human as the next person, so let's just all celebrate that and call our sins a win. But when he says we've got to live a, a hope-filled life for our own sake, and again, he's not talking about optimism. What he's talking about is, are you transformed? Has Christ actually done something in you that would change you from who you want to be to who he knows you can be, who he wants you to be. And he says this in verses 18 through 25. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Bad things are going to happen to you. Suck it up and deal with it. Not because you can, but because Christ said, i got something better for you. Verse 20, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Maybe sometimes it's just good to have a reminder that for the sake of yourself, for your own sanity, I don't know about you, but I'm going a little stir-crazy. My wife has a job where she gets to go down to the medical center and engage with her coworkers and see people all the time. And my job kind of has me relegated to being at the house a little bit. And when she comes home from dealing with people, she's tired. And when, I, when she comes home and I see her, I'm excited because the dog just quit talking to me last week. And she wants to rest and recover from that time. And I'm looking for that time a little bit more. Because for me, my world's a little bit different than what it was a couple of months ago like many of you have. That's a lot of the reason why I'm glad to be here, because I actually get to see faces. I even smelled a couple of you. You still stink, but I love you anyway. That was a great thing, right? But for my own sake, I needed some of these things. But Peter is saying, for your own sake, so that you can be renewed and refreshed in the remembrance of your own salvation, is that you will live a hope-filled life that is centered on Christ and Christ alone. And that's not just being happy and positive and saying, today's the day I'm going to go out and do this or do that. Or just, no, today's the day I'm going to submit to Christ who put himself on the cross for me. And every day that I start that day and live that way accordingly, what happens is when I get hopeless for whatever reasons by the world's standards because my desires are for the flesh and they, they start to beat me a little bit, I turn back to the living hope. And my optimism just doesn't quite get it there. It may help me. 
but it's the living hope of Jesus Christ from the resurrection of the dead that I turn back to, and he did that for me. He did that for me, and I accepted that. And because I accepted that, I can tell others about that and offer them the example that Christ had, not just of how he lived a good, moral, pure life, but also what he was willing to do for those who decided not to live a good, moral, pure life, who found that the world was bigger, meaner, nastier than what they could endure. And so while Christ gave us an example, he also showed us salvation. And for our own sake, we need to be reminded of that salvation because if we're not careful, and hear me here, what we hope for is only the world's standards of a better situation to an outcome that we have no control over. And that's not real hope at all. It's certainly not a living hope. It's certainly not an enduring hope. It's certainly not a hope we actually want to pass along to someone else. Have you ever told somebody when they ask you for advice, well, I don't know how things are in your world, but this is what I would do. Let me tell you something. There's a universal truth right here. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. What I would do is going to fall short each and every time. But what Christ has already done is taken care of. And our jobs, our, our hope, is to share that with others in such a way. And so if you don't hear anything else from me this morning, I want you to just think on this statement for just a minute. Hope is not optimism. It is transformation through the trust in the promises of God. It is transformation through the trust of the promises of God. And here's why I say that. Optimism never saved anybody from an eternity in hell. Optimism never raised anybody from the dead. Optimism never, ever forgave someone's sin. Never. And I'm so fearful that sometimes we look at hope in such a way that it's nothing more than an optimistic placebo. When in reality, if we really trust in God, if we really have hope in this Jesus who saved us from our sins, we will live according to the promises of God. And that living hope will shine through not because we hope God's going to save us, not because we hope that God is going to be kind to us, not because we hope on the day of visitation that he's going to show up and take me, but because we know it to be true because he said it was. Because he said it was. We don't hope for resurrection from the dead. We're waiting for it to happen. As it is a definite guarantee written in stone. And if we're not careful, our Christian hope it's just another one of those fun words that we say, well, you know, we have hope in Christ. Actually, you have hope in Christ, and your hope is Christ. Because he is both the will and the way that we need to have a hope-filled life. Because he's a living hope. He's not a dead hope. He's, he, he's coming back for us as a guarantee, not as a, well, just in case. So many times we hedge our bets thinking, well, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this. Let me tell you something. Salvation is not a great big if-then statement. You don't get to work yourself into that. We are transformed by the promises that God made to us because the one thing God cannot do is lie. He cannot lie. And he's never lied to us. And so when he says this, and he gives us these promises, the first one of the many promises he gives us is that our suffering has purpose. Times may be tough, times may be hard, times may be difficult, whether that be work, relationships, finances, whatever the case may be. But 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light momentary affliction 
Compare that to an eternity in a real place called hell, absent the presence of God. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I can't even tell you how good it's going to be because I don't know when I'm going to be there. I don't hope that I'm going to be there. I don't, I don't think if I do all these things that I'm going to be in heaven and in glory with God forever. I know it to be true because God said, you're mine. And I said, I'll take it. That's the living hope that I have. Another promise that God shared with us is that, that he would be our advocate. So many times we miss the reality of the need that we have for a hope, living hope, Jesus, to be our advocate. And so in Revelation 3, 5, he says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Listen, we are not worthy to open the scrolls or stand before the Lord God Almighty. But one who is says that you're mine, no one can take you from my hand. And I will be your advocate. And on that day of visitation, whenever I come back, if you have indeed been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, then I will stand there and I'll say, Father, this one's with me. That's not just an optimistic, I sure hope things turn out that way. That is a promise of hope who is Jesus. We're also told that Jesus said, I'll be with you to the very end. He says that to his apostles in Acts chapter 1. He says it again in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Now let me wrap this up, hopefully a little tighter. Because what I want you to understand is this, that if we're so busy giving out just an optimistic hope and not a Jesus-filled hope, not a, not a real living hope, then maybe God didn't create a good work in us. But if he did, in fact, create a good work in us, he's going to give us the will and the way, the hope, the reality to see it through. And part of that is living for the sake of the lost, living for the sake of the Lord himself, and living for the sake of ourselves in a living hope so that we understand that the promises of God are true and they'll continue to be true. And I don't have to doubt that. I don't, I don't have to even understand it all. I just have to trust that God said it's true and it's true for me because I have a living hope. And that living hope doesn't end when I take my last breath. That living hope is realized in faith when I no longer have to worry about thinking about seeing, but I'm actually standing before him. Finally, we're told that whoever has Jesus has real hope, and that's a promise. That is a promise from God. 1 John 5, 11 through 13 says, And this is my testimony that God gave us eternal life, and that this life in his Son, whoever has the Son has life, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. See, when we misplace hope and we give false hope and we don't give living hope, all we're really doing is prolonging the inevitable reality that people are going to die scared and confused and unaware of the reality that there's a God who loves them. That's the one thing that we all have that we can look forward to is that we will stand before God. And you can do that fearfully or you can do that with great assurance. You can do that fearfully with an optimistic hope that just gives you a will, or you can do that with, with great solvency, with great energy, with great reality, knowing that I have both the will and the way, and his name is Jesus. And so Jesus is not just, my hope's not just in him, my hope is him. My hope is him. I find it a little bit alarming that Peter had to remind the first century church of this. And here today, we're still needing to be reminded of that. And so my challenge to you this morning before we leave this place is to put optimism in its right place and put Jesus back on the throne of everything in your life. 
always be willing to give an answer. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And it's not because I had a good day yesterday or things are going my way. It's because Jesus died on the cross for me and conquered death so that I would be forever with him in reality. And he's my advocate standing there for me. That's my hope. My hope is based on the true promises of God, not on what God might do, but what he said he's already going to do and what he's already done for each and every one of us. Chief Red Jacket watched the people for a while in Buffalo Falls, New York, and he decided he didn't want anything to do with them. They might have had a hope, but they had a hope maybe in a pastor, maybe a hope in a in a book as it were some sort of magic spell, but what they didn't have was a relationship with Jesus Christ, a living hope that was made available through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's not only what we need, that's what lost people need, that's what this entire world needs. If we're going to have hope in hard times, it's going to come in understanding what real hope actually is, and that's Jesus. Not the ideal of Jesus, but the actual relational everyday flesh and blood Jesus who lives in each and every one of our hearts if we're in bond. That's real hope. I actually think that's what this world's been missing. We've been placating them as a church for a long time, I think. I think it's time that we start telling the real story of hope. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We're hopeless sinners without you. And what we need more than anything else is just the reality, the truth, Father, the understanding that what you said will happen will absolutely happen. Father, I'm reminded what you said to Thomas. You told him to stop doubting and believe. Many times we're worried about just the doubt that Thomas had. What was really happening there was that Thomas just did not believe. And so, Lord, when we don't believe, then we don't actually offer real hope to people. And so, Lord, teach us to believe. Show us your way. Show us your mercy. Show us your truth. Show us the way, the truth, and the life only through Jesus alone. And when we catch ourselves trying to find the world's hope and the world's solutions, help us to understand, Father, that those are just desires of the flesh and we need to focus more on you and to have a living hope that comes through Christ alone. God, so that we don't get disappointed by our half-hearted hope, so that the world doesn't get disappointed by our half-hearted hope, and so that you are not honored by our half-hearted hope, but instead we have a living hope that's given to us through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray your blessing over everyone that's here today and everyone that's watching online. I pray, Lord, that they would, they would have a hope in you as they connect with you through your scripture, through time of prayer, through fellowship with other believers. And that as we do struggle with the realities of this world, we understand that it is but a temporary thing and our suffering has purpose. But it's also filled with promise. And so God, teach us to know your promises and to trust them in all that we do this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, friends.